Thank you for listening to Mormon Discussion Podcast. I created this podcast to help members of the church who are either in a trial of faith or who simply want to think about the gospel in more complex ways but are not finding that in the three-hour block at church. I'm grateful for you tuning in. The podcast is getting between five and 8,000 listens per week through various sources such as Stitcher and iTunes and its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. Thank you to those listeners who have become premium subscribers. But out of the five to 8,000 listeners, the premium subscribers is a small drop of that. This podcast survives on the donations of you, the listeners. And I hope you might consider today becoming a premium subscriber by going to mormondiscussion.podbean.com. You can do so for as little as $1.50 a month, or you can even get a savings on top of that by doing it by the year for $12. These donations ensure that this podcast will last for many years. So please consider becoming a premium subscriber today. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Today I want to talk about what I will call the white shirt phenomenon. Now, what I want to do here is I want to talk about how we in the church are taught certain doctrines, we're taught certain principles, and yet somehow culturally, and this goes from from the bottom all the way to the top, culturally, we sometimes take more from that than what is really there, and then in a sense, create pseudo-doctrines that really do not exist. And in order to kind of set this up, I want to share two stories that I've shared before on the podcast, but which I think will at least set the tone for this idea that I want to get across. The first one was several years ago. I was serving as bishop in our ward. We had created or come up with in ward council a missionary activity. What we were going to do, and I had already done this at a couple of universities, so this was going to be a really easy thing uh, to kind of put together from the presentation standpoint, but it was a one-hour PowerPoint presentation on a brief historical overview of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and in how the gospel was restored. And we were going to invite the public into this activity, and we had come up with ways to do that. We had created posters to hang in public places, such as the community boards in a grocery store or library. We had advertised it uh, by email and word of mouth through the members and also uh, online through Facebook. And so we went out of our way as a ward to really get together and to make this a huge deal. And the night came, and maybe a dozen or so uh, people outside of the church came to this. And that may not seem like a lot, but we've got a, a word membership of about 115 members, 120 members active. And uh, and we live in kind of a, a, obviously out in the mission field in Ohio. And so this dozen people, they come and they, and we put the presentation on, it goes so well. And at the end, they're asking really good questions and we're giving them answers. And afterwards, there's refreshments provided and they're staying after and they're having some, some treats and they're, and they're talking to members of the ward. And this presentation was just, it was really well done. The, the activity was really well done. The, preparation for it. The posters were great. The places they were put, the whole ward felt confident. And and as the bishop and as the one who did the presentation, I felt like, man, this was a huge, huge success. And I walk into the cultural hall because after the presentation, one guy in particular 
had some really uh, complex questions to ask, some really tough questions. And he didn't want to ask them in front of the whole group and deter from the activity, which was really kind of him. And so I stayed after about 10 minutes or so asking or answering the questions that he was asking. He was asking about the Book of Abraham and other things. He'd obviously done his research on Mormonism and, to, again, appreciate the attitude with which he uh, he came afterward to ask rather than detract from the, the, the event. And so him and I began some correspondence. But after I get done with this 10 minutes of talking to him, I, uh, I go into the cultural hall. This activity is essentially ending up, you know, ending the, the folks are all eating the refreshments and they're talking to different members of the ward. And as I walk in, a, a leader higher up than me, and no, not, not a stake president, but a leader higher up than me, uh, walked up to me and, and I said, hey, what did you think? And I'm, you know, I'm throwing him a softball. I'm giving this person a chance to say, hey, that was really well done. Good job, guys. You're, as a ward, you guys should be proud of yourselves. And instead, he looks at me and he pauses for just a second and he says, you know, you could have wore a white shirt. And I told the story before. I, I worked that day. Uh, I mix paint a lot at work. I work in a flooring store and we sell paint. So I usually don't wear a white shirt to work. And yes, I could have changed, but I, when work was over, I zipped right over to the, to the ward building. I, uh, wanted to get this show rolling. And to be honest, it never, it never, came across my mind that on a ward activity where I'm not essentially acting as the bishop in official capacity, that there would be a problem with me wearing any kind of other color besides white in my shirt. But this this person who, who had a higher stewardship than me thought so. And uh, the one thing that they decided to share out of the whole experience was that they were disappointed I didn't wear a white shirt. That's always stuck with me. And to be honest, that experience in some ways has been a foundational crack in in my future faith crisis that came from that. Um, and I, I simply would say I, I just, I cannot stand when people use unrighteous dominion or authority to impose rules on others and especially to make that the, the big thing that is focused on, that that's the, that's what you place under the microscope and decide to stare at. The second experience happened a couple weeks ago. I was out in the foyer joking around with a couple of missionaries. The one sister missionary was asking a lot of deep questions. She was, she was struggling a little bit and she was wondering about how the gospel fits in certain ways. And I've really enjoyed having conversations with a sister missionary at some of these complex things. And they're like, Hey, I get that. Let's talk more. Here's some questions. Let's, let me ask about this. Let me, let me know about that. And it was a really good conversation. There also happened to be another leader with a higher stewardship than me sitting out in the foyer as well in between classes. And as I'm spending a couple of minutes talking to the sister, this other person looks over and I love this other person and this person's a good member of the church and, uh, and I in no way use this as a derogatory example of this person, but rather as a, as a symbol of what we do within our culture. This this person looks over at me and the sister and says, don't trust a word he says. He doesn't even wear a white shirt. And uh, I had my pink shirt on that day. And I thought to myself, I know he's joking. And I, and I you know, I get it. And I, I chuckle. And I look over at him and I'm kind of like, hey, just got a curiosity. Where do you find that rule? And uh, he pauses for a moment. And he says, well, it's an elder Packer's the unwritten order of things. And so now with that, let's move into the actual dialogue here on this idea. I, uh, through these two experiences, I was prompted to just really dive in and research where this cultural pseudo doctrine comes from. And I'll call it that. And if someone has evidence that the church has officially stated that its members should wear, 
that it's priesthood should wear a white shirt, then uh, then please let me know. But I want to start with a quote from uh, Matthew Holland. This is Elder Holland's son. This uh, was given in 1983. It was titled Muddy Feet in White Shirts. Uh, Matthew Holland is currently the president of UVU. And uh, so we'll go to that clip now. For example, my dad and I have gone for ice cream after every general priesthood meeting since I became a deacon. We are going again tonight. Now, ice cream isn't absolutely necessary to enjoy priesthood meeting, but it helps. I also remember my father telling me a few weeks before I was ordained a deacon that he hoped whenever I prepared, blessed, or passed the sacrament, I would always wear a white shirt and a tie. I'm sure I had heard the same advice from a Sunday school teacher or read it in some manual, but it wasn't until my father said it that I intended to do it. By responding to my father's suggestions, I have shown respect for the sacred ordinance of the sacrament. And that small word of advice also helped me understand that the priesthood ordinances are not just work or assignments, but they are priceless privileges which I am grateful to take part in. And so you can see there from this talk, uh, Matthew Holland speaking about his father telling him that now that he was ordained to the priesthood, that whenever he blessed, passed, or prepared the sacrament, that he should wear a white shirt and tie, in a sense as a favor to his father, but it also to show sacred reverence for that ordinance. But it becomes pretty understood in this in this talk that his his father, Elder Holland, is teaching him a principle, which is that when you participate in this ordinance, you should wear a white shirt and tie. But there's another side to that coin, which is essentially the unsaid principle, which is if you're not doing that ordinance, it's up to you. And that's what I took away from that. Now, maybe that's not a fair a fair draw away. And who's Matthew Holland at this time? In 1983, he's a he's a he's a teenager. And uh, perhaps that talk has no weight. So now I want to turn to the unwritten order of things, a talk given by, by President Packer at a devotional address at BYU on October 15, 1996 at the Marriott Center. And in this talk, I don't have a recording of this one, but in this talk, President Packer shares with the audience lots of principles that while they are not found in the written revelations and doctrines of the church, they are to be generally understood as correct principles. And he goes through a bunch of things. But it's not until towards the end of the talk that he addresses what we should wear on Sunday. And the only quote attributed in that talk to this principle is this quote. It says, There are many things I could say about such matters, such as wearing Sunday best. Do you know what Sunday best means? It used to be the case. Now we see even more informal even slouchy clothing in our meetings, even in sacrament meeting, that leads to informal and slouchy conduct. That's President Packer's quote. In there, in no way does it say anything about what color shirt one should wear, but rather the idea that we dress our best, that we that we are clean, that we dress nicely, that we're not just wearing a t-shirt and a pair of jeans, not even just a button-up shirt and a pair of slacks. But in no way does can this talk be this quote be construed to mean that priesthood brethren should wear a white shirt and tie. I don't see that in the least, and I see that as a very a, a very big reach on the part of any member who wants to impose this talk as the rule that we should wear a white shirt and tie. Now I want to share with you Elder Jeffrey R. Holland's uh, comment about a white shirt, and and then we can talk about what he has to say about this idea. Now let's go to Elder Holland. In that sacred setting, 
We ask you, young men of the Aaronic Priesthood, to prepare and bless and pass these emblems of the Savior's sacrifice worthily and reverently. What a stunning privilege and sacred trust given at such a remarkably young age. I can think of no higher compliment heaven could pay you. We do love you. Live your best and look your best when you participate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. May I suggest that wherever possible, a white shirt be worn by the deacons, teachers, and priests who handle the sacrament. For sacred ordinances in the Church, we often use ceremonial clothing, and a white shirt could be seen as a gentle reminder of the white clothing you wore in the baptismal font and an anticipation of the white shirt you will soon wear into the temple and onto your missions. That simple suggestion is not intended to be pharisaic or formalistic. We do not want deacons or priests in uniforms or unduly concerned about anything but the purity of their lives. But how our young people dress can teach a holy principle to us all, and it certainly can convey sanctity. As President David O. McKay once said, a white shirt contributes to the sacredness of the Holy Sacrament. What a beautiful quote from Elder Holland. And, and I find this, this quote to just speak on several levels. One, Elder Holland makes the point, says, I don't want to be pharisaical. I don't want to make rules where there are not rules. But by wearing a white shirt, it, it, it helps all of us focus better on the purity and cleanliness of the sacrament, the ordinances we participated in before, the ones we're going to participate in after. He makes a big deal of saying, look, I'm not making a rule out of this. We certainly want to concentrate on the purity of one's life more than the clothing that they're wearing. But if you'll at least do me a favor and do that. We certainly can walk away from this quote recognizing that for anybody who's not preparing, passing, or blessing the sacrament, it is not required nor even even suggested that you would wear a white shirt uh, with a tie. And so, again... This this cultural rule in Mormonism that really is not a rule at all seems to take its basis in in quotes like both Elder Holland and his son, as well as what Elder Packer didn't say. So I decided, okay, well, fine, let's go to the handbook. Certainly, if there's a rule about white shirts, it'll be found in the handbook. And there is a rule in the in the handbook about white shirts. So here it is. It says those who bless and pass the sacrament should dress modestly and be well-groomed and clean. Clothing or jewelry should not call attention to itself or distract members during the sacrament. Ties and white shirts are recommended because they add to the dignity of the ordinance. However, they should not be required as a mandatory prerequisite for a priesthood holder to participate. Nor should it be required that all be alike in dress and appearance. Bishops should use discretion when giving such guidance to young men taking into account their financial circumstances and their maturity in the church. So there's the handbook's only statement throughout the entire thing about wearing a white shirt. And the handbook is pretty clear that it is a suggestion for young men who are directly interacting with the ordinance of the sacrament, 
but that it should not be taught as an absolute and that we all should be careful of other circumstances even when suggesting such ideas. So that's a pretty a pretty flexible statement that again would allow each young man to make his own decision, but in reality should know the importance that the brethren would prefer to see them in white shirts for that ordinance. But it says nothing of those who are not participating uh, directly, and I and I mean that you could you could easily say, well, come on, we're all passing the sacrament to each other, we're all involved in the ordinance, but you're overextending what is being said. That is that would be an unfair stretch or reach to take these quotes and again say that the general congregation, the brethren, the priesthood holders, not directly interacting with the sacrament, should wear a white shirt. It's just not there. I want to end talking about an article that I found online. So I was looking online for where does this cultural, this cultural rule that really does, is not a rule. Where does this come from? And I find an article by a guy by the name of, um, Doug Gibson. And, uh, in this article, he's essentially kind of talking about this issue, this, this cultural issue of wearing a white shirt. So here's what he says in the opening of the article. He says, I became my ward's high priest group leader last Sunday. After I was ordained, I started to give a lesson on John the Baptist. The same church leader who ordained me interrupted me to tell me that from now on, he wanted to see me wearing white shirts. Other colors, including the black, long-sleeve button-up I was wearing, were not tolerated. I considered asking him if the same rules applied to John the Baptist almost 2,000 years ago, but that would have been snarky, and I do respect the man in his church position. Nevertheless, the edict reminds me of one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons, where Homer undergoes aggressive questioning in a body cavity search after wearing a pink shirt to work. The Simpsons patriarch is eventually committed to an insane asylum after failing a sanity test. A friend of mine appended that a black shirt worn by an active priesthood holder might signify individualism or a less than sterling obsessence to authority. I wonder if a white shirt is now required garb for all male journalists at the Deseret News, uh, he states. And so from there, he also goes on. He says, he says, I'm not, I'm not an LDS rebel or loner though. My only possible heretical axiom is that if you really want to learn about my church's history, and I have a passion for that, stay away from at least 75% of the historical resources endorsed by the church. He then says, people are fallible, no matter what the book says. My same friend did offer the best explanation I've heard so far for the edict though. If missionaries are forced to wear dress shirts, dress whites, in the jungle, and deacons dress whites while passing the sacrament, it's not too much to ask me to do the same 50 Sundays a year. He then says, he says, so what's worse, wearing a non-white shirt to church or having the appalling rudeness to interrupt your lesson and scold you in front of the people who are supposed to respect you as their leader? Can you imagine Jesus making an issue of white shirts? And so that was the gist of his article. He he goes on a little bit and talks about some of the, the culture behind this, but but that's essentially the gist of it. And so now I, I scroll down and I look at some of the comments in the comment section. And I want to read a couple of these because they, they to me hit on, they hit on the attitude with which some people take in defending rules that don't really exist. It's this black and white thinking and, and you can just see it, for me anyway, plain and simple in, in these comments. So here's a couple of them that are in the comments section. Here's one. What is wrong with having a dress standard which shows some respect and dignity for an office in the church? Don't other churches do that too? When Jesus comes again, I'm sure that we will be able to nitpick some of what he says then for us to do because we'd rather do it some other way, more to our liking. What if he says we're to wear white shirts? 
Since when is wearing a white shirt slavery or lack of freedom? In the military, isn't there a dress standard on certain occasions? Did any of you complain about that? And if so, where did your free thinking get you? I also noticed that Hugh Nibley wore white shirts in a suit. Even though he was not a high priest group leader to church and other places, was he a slave? This sounds like a discussion steeped in stupidity. I am disturbed by the attitudes I find on display here. As I see it, the issue is the issue is not with white shirts, nor what Hugh Nibley opened. Now we'll get to the Hugh Nibley quote in a little bit. Nor even what John the Baptist would do. The issue is attitudes. Maybe something deeper. The color of the shirt we wear is not a big deal until we consider that the adversary does not start on us with a sledgehammer but with a scalpel. For you, my friend, a white shirt and a tie and a priesthood leader's behavior are all scalpels and you're letting them under your skin. The attitude that would broadcast complaints with church policies or leaders will always find something to murmur about, and each grievance will be a little more serious than the last. So there's the the first comment, and I want to talk about that one for a moment. This person seems to be essentially saying, what is wrong with having a dress code? But here's the problem. The brethren have not ever given us a dress code. It is not a policy. It can only be created by a leader who thinks it's a policy when it never really was. There's a huge difference. He uses the example of the military and says, well, would you complain because you have to wear a uniform there? No, because that's their policy. They have a rule. We don't have a rule. We are asked to wear our best. That best does not mean necessarily a white shirt. It can. You could. You could put a white shirt on and say, this is my best. I can also put my pink shirt on and say, this is my best. It's not about fighting against a policy. It's rather fighting against a speculative doctrine that never was ever given to us as a hard and fast rule, nor even taught to us as a guideline. It's not there. And if somebody has it, please send it to me. Email me, the brethren. One, email me a leader just saying in a talk that we should wear it. That in and of itself is not doctrine, but at least it would give us something to start on. There's not even that. All we can find is that the Aaronic priesthood is taught to wear a white shirt. It is recommended to them. It show, It's an outward expression of the inner commitment of their heart to wear a white shirt when dealing directly with the sacrament. It is not a policy, a rule, or a doctrine for others in the church other priesthood holders who are not directly interacting with the sacrament to do so. So the, the the comment by that person, while I certainly understand where he's coming from, he's creating a straw man. There is no policy. And where there's no policy, we shouldn't make people feel guilty for not following a rule that doesn't exist. Let me end with a quote from Hugh Nibley that was referenced uh, earlier. Hugh Nibley said, The worst sinners, according to Jesus, are not the harlots or the publicans. But the religious leaders, with their insistence on proper dress and grooming, their careful observance of all the rules, their precious concern for status symbols, their strict legality, their pious patriotism, the haircut becomes the test of virtue in a world where Satan deceives and rules by appearances. May I end simply saying that in the church, within our culture, we often Take a talk here or a talk there and often things they're not even directly said and we just assume what that person is saying. We assume that President Packer in the unwritten order of things is talking about a white shirt. We assume that Elder Holland while talking to the young men is also winking at the older men and asking them to do the same. Often in the gospel we make assumptions and those assumptions, those assumptions are, are often not based in truth or in facts. Let's get to the bottom of things. May I end with a quote from Elder Uchtdorf. 
and and with that, sign off from this episode. And before I share that, may I simply say, may the Lord warm your shoulders, may he bless you, and may you always be willing to dig a little deeper. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Part of the reason for poor judgment comes from the tendency of mankind to blur the line between belief and truth. We too often confuse belief with truth, thinking that because something makes sense or is convenient, it must be true. Conversely, we sometimes don't believe truth or reject it because it would require us to change or admit that we were wrong. Often truth is rejected because it doesn't appear to be consistent with previous experiences. When the opinions of truth of others contradict our own, instead of considering the possibility that there could be information that might be helpful and augment or complement what we know, we often jump to conclusions or make assumptions that the other person is misinformed, mentally challenged, or even knowingly trying to deceive. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of to rescue me from danger interposed his precious precious blood oh that day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face clothed then in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry, take my ransom soul away. Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. To grace, how great a debtor Daily I am constrained to be 
Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above.